As we prepare to hear our pastor's message, and as we prepare our hearts to hear the word of God read, let us pray. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. Our scripture comes from Numbers chapter 21, verses 4 through 9. They traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom. But the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no bread, there is no water, and we detest this miserable food. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. The Lord said to Moses, Make a snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, church family. It is good to be in the house of the Lord with you today. Thanks be to God. And uh, I am always delighted to see your faces, albeit half of it. Uh, I trust that you know that as your pastor here at Skyview, along with our pastoral staff and and our board that we continue to keep you in prayer in this season. How vital it is to pray for one another. Amen. How vital it is to recognize that even if we don't see one another often enough, uh, as most of us feel, that we can still bring one another before the throne of grace. So I pray that you would pray. Pray for me as I pray for you. I want to also extend a welcome to anybody visiting with us, whether it be online, which now we have to get used to, <laughs> or in person. And uh, we trust that despite the, 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 what seems to almost feel like just a weird science fiction experiment uh, of life, we would discern that God is present with us. And so this morning, as I prepare to share some thoughts from this scripture, I want to invite you to do what I ask us all to do all the time, that is to pray. Uh, this morning, uh, we want to pray in a particular way, if I may lead you down this way. It is uh, to echo the words of the prophet, speak, Lord, for we are listening. Uh, we need the word of the Lord in this season. And we need to hear his voice, both for us as individuals and for us as a church. And so this morning, I want to invite you to make that the prayer of your heart. Uh, let us pray together. Father, I'm reminded of uh, a worship song that we used to sing, perhaps too much, many years ago, that we're coming back to the heart of worship, <laughs> and it's all about you. I think in this season where we have uh, had to pivot and change and, and put up screens and sing with masks on, that, that perhaps there is a gift in the discomfort of it because we are all being drawn to why we do what we do. 
we gather here today and we've made the time to be here today because you are worthy of worship. You are worthy of praise. You are worthy of our time. You are worthy of our resources. You are worthy because you are, as the word declares, the beginning and the end. There is no other God other than you. And so, Father, we gather as those who recognize that we gather in the presence of the Almighty God who is worth our time, our energy, our dedication, our loyalty, our giving, our everything. And we say to you today that we love you. We desire to walk in your ways. But we also confess, Lord, that there are times in which we fail to do that which you've called us to do. That there are times in which we require, we lean, we depend upon your mercy and your grace and your forgiveness. And so if there is amongst us here this morning or online, wherever people are listening to this service and to this sermon, someone that says, I need the grace of God to cover my life today, I pray that we would in faith look to the cross and there see that our sins have been forgiven by a God who gives himself unto us so that we may be free. And may through these simple thoughts, we hear your voice. Amen. You can't leave Egypt and bypass the wilderness on your way to the promised land. You can't get to where God has promised to take you as the people of God, biblically speaking, unless you go through the dry places, the difficult places. Now, some of us may think about the wilderness as a location that we would rather not be in, and, and I probably would share that sentiment. But in the Bible, at least, the, the wilderness is not first and foremost a place of judgment. It's not necessarily first a place of punishment. It is a necessary place for God's people to get to in order to leave a life of slavery. And so perhaps for some of us today, it's important to recognize that the location that God seems to speak and do his work and, 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 and the purpose of God does not exclude going through the wilderness. In fact, we see as we study the Old Testament that God is present in the wilderness. <laughs> he is... Uh, he is revealing himself to the people in the wilderness. They encounter him in powerful and miraculous ways en route to the promised land. And this God who liberates the people from Egyptian slavery, he also leads them through the wilderness. So not only is he present, but he is able to lead the people to where they need to go. Cloud by day and a pillar of fire at night. I think uh, it's rather remarkable to, to think about this reality that God does not abandon his people uh, halfway through the journey. He is wanting to lead and guide them. His presence is, is what will give them life and ensure that they fulfill his purpose. And I I just wonder if in the season of life that we all find ourselves perhaps feeling more like the Israelites, that we need this reminder that the wilderness is not contrary to the plan of God. 
Perhaps we have been tempted to believe that to be a Christian and to follow Jesus and to live as God wants us to live means that there's no more dry places. There's no more difficult places. There's no more challenging places. But perhaps if we are to look at the text today and and recognize that the same God who wants to liberate the people from slavery and make them the people of promise and blessing in the world through Jesus Christ liberates us and leads us also. And in following him, we may experience dry places, difficult seasons, places that are not easy, places that that seem to tempt us to want to look back to a better day and a better time. And yet, it is in the wilderness that not only do we see the presence of God and the leading of God, but we see (laughs) that this God provides for his people. And we're going to talk about that provision in just a moment. And like Israel... Jesus himself would be led by God into the wilderness. If you read the New Testament, you read Matthew's account, right following Jesus' baptism, it says this in the text, the Spirit of God led. That's a soft word for the original language. The actual original language goes more like this. God drove Jesus into the wilderness. It seems to me that if If God would not spare his chosen people, Israel, who he calls his firstborn son in the Old Testament, and Jesus, who is the Son of God, from going into the wilderness, that perhaps those who seek to be faithful to the God of Abraham and the God we have come to know through Jesus Christ may want to lead his people to promise through dry, difficult places. There's a word of encouragement for us before I even get into the text. It is this. If you find yourself in the wilderness, God is there. You know, I know you can't say amen too loud, but you can. If you find yourself today in a dry place, in a place that you'd rather not be, let's just be honest. If I had to choose how God would liberate me, if I was a Hebrew person, I would say, Take me through the Red Sea and then magically transport me into Canaan without the wilderness. But the reality is, is that the wilderness serves as a location in which God wants to relieve people from what was and the way that they thought about who they are in order to prepare them for that which he has in store for them. In the wilderness, God wants to do some reshaping. In the season that we find ourselves globally, the church develops a different posture. Yes, we long for a vaccine that would bring an end to the pandemic so that we may return to life as usual. But let us not neglect the God who uses dry places to change people and make them a people of promise and blessing in the world. Let us not forsake that even in the discomfort of this season, God is not only present, he is leading, he is able to provide, and he is gracious unto us. 
When I hear Christians speak of this season in its unwanted ways, I agree with them. I feel it. I do not want to meet with you behind plexiglass. I do not want to just see you from six feet away. I do not want to have my house and my doors closed to you and only open to my family. Trust me, my family don't want to be stuck with me either. This is a season that we are not supposed to love or enjoy, but it is not a season that prohibits God from doing what God wants to do if we would look to him. And so what do we learn? What do we learn when we look at this text? We learn that Jesus would look back at this text and interpret his very resurrection in light of what happened here. In fact, in John chapter 3, verse 14, before we get to the scripture that most people know, even non-Christian or non-believing people, it says this, And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. This is Jesus speaking. That whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that when those look at the Son of Man, they will receive eternal life. Like looking at the serpent in the text will save the people from the snake bite and the venom that was killing them by looking at the very thing that represents their disobedience and is a symbol of death. So when we look to the cross of Christ in the season of Lent, we too find there our healing and our hope. You know, people often uh, would say to me, and I've been saying this to you, the reason I'm preaching from the Old Testament is because we, we need to understand that the same God who begins his creative work in the old is faithful to his commitment to carry that work unto completion. That God is not in the business of abandoning his commitments despite his creation. That God is, is still trying through Jesus to fulfill what he began through Israel. The God who, who drives Jesus into the desert where he is tested for 40 days is revealing to us that he has desired the very same thing from the beginning for his people and through Christ desires the very same thing for us. That we would be a people that look to him for our liberation and our hope no matter where that road may take us. Now, verse 16 of that passage I just started to read said, For God so loved the world that the reason for the cross, the reason for Jesus being raised is out of love. For God so loved the world that he gave the God who gives himself, his son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but may have eternal life. This is not even notes in my text, but I'm just going to pause for a second. Do we understand the enormity of the hope that God has from the beginning for everyone? Listen to the words again. For God so loved the world. He loves this world. He loves what he's created. Just like a, a parent cannot hate their own son, so God cannot hate what he has created. 
He is committed to redeeming, to restoring, to renewing. And the Word of God makes it very clear that in Jesus' Word, it is this Son who comes as a means of salvation and hope by fulfilling what Israel started but could not complete. Anyway, the wilderness is not a place that is contrary to the plan of God for God's people or for His Son. But how we walk through the wilderness will determine whether we fulfill His will or not. So how do we walk well in this wilderness season? Here's going to be some simple but hopefully meaningful applications. First is, we need to learn to trust God and believe that He will take care of us in the dry places. I want you to hear a little bit of context that would help us. This is the last in what's called the murmuring stories. You know, there's some words in the English language that convey the meaning of what it is trying to allude to very strongly. Murmuring. Just the way you say that is not pleasant to me. In fact, the people had, had murmured for several months now since they've been liberated. They complained at Marah that the water was bitter, and so God showed Moses how to sweeten it so that they could drink it. They complained about the lack of food in Exodus chapter 16, and the Lord gave them manna. They complained that they were thirsty, and God provided water from a rock, and then when they became discontent with the manna after Sinai, they asked for meat, And God brought quail upon the camp for an entire month so that they became sick of eating the quail. And here again, the people complain, and their complaining seems to be a little bit incoherent if you pay attention to the text. (laughs) They seem to say that there is no food and that the food they have is miserable. And earlier in Numbers, we find out that they were longing for the menu that they had enjoyed even as slaves in Egypt. It seems to me (laughs) that in this particular text that it's, it's perhaps dangerous just to look at it without understanding what has gone before. It seems that when I hear it, I hear serpents and biting and poison and death when there is clearly a revelation that God's judgment follows after so much provision and grace. That God has given the people what they needed for the journey. Listen, He has not given them what they wanted, but He's given them enough in the wilderness to accomplish what He has called them to do. I want to say that a little slower because I think it's true for us today. In the wilderness, we have to trust that what God provides is enough to get us through. And some of the grumbling, some of the murmuring that we hear in the text repeatedly reveals a deeper problem in the people's collective memory. They seem to forget why God had liberated them in the first place. And it's amazing when people have to settle for less but enough 
They often tend to look back in glorious remembering ways. The past seems a lot brighter than what he's promised. I'll never forget, and I've told the story before, and I think it's worth saying now, that I grew up in a, in a racially segregated society, and my grandmother visited with Ruth Ann and I for several months, and while she was with us, uh, it was a wonderful time, and we talked about many things, and I remember the day my grandmother said to me, you know, Stu, I think it was better for us during the days of apartheid. Ooh, my, mom, my grandmother, you have to understand something about my grandmother. My grandmother was a faithful woman of prayer. Oh, Stu Norman Williams, that's my middle name. My mother-in-law was quite disappointed that my name was not more exotic than Stu Norman Williams when she first heard. But my grandmother would call upon the Lord, praying for her grandchildren and her children. She was a faithful person. But when she said that, she, she kind of did the kind of poor remembering that Israel does in the desert. Do you know what it says in Exodus? Exodus chapter 3, God says to Moses, tell the people that I'm going to do what I promised I would do through for their father Abraham. I'm going to bring them up out of Egypt and their miserable suffering will come to an end. Their miserable suffering will come to an end. The rescue of God from Egypt is because the people were living in misery. It should perplex us that they would want to go back to Egypt, a place of misery. Such remembering is selective. They want food, but they are willing to suffer at the hands of a Pharaoh who mistreated them and marginalized them. I want to say to you, my grandmother's desire was probably understandable given the fact that in the country I grew up with, I was not, we were as a family, not right at the bottom, but there were so many people who suffered because of the color of their skin and their background that it was not a place we should ever desire to go back to. Egypt represents that which is wrong with our world and favors only some. Egypt represents the poor kind of remembering that makes us less likely to trust God's sufficiency for us in the present as we hope for a restored and renewed creation in the future. Those who long to look back to Egypt are often those for whom Egypt seems more appealing than the God who invites us all into a purpose that goes beyond our comfort. I've heard some people say that... We here in the West, and I include myself, have become too comfortable with a Christianity that comforts us. But if it is true that God leads his people through dry places for his purpose and does not spare his son from the same, perhaps we can see, even in this pandemic, the gracious leading of God to reform within our hearts a trust and a dependency on him, a sense of following him that says, you know, sometimes, I know you've promised milk and honey, but sometimes water and bread is enough to get us through. Sometimes... Uh, Letting go of some of the things I'd rather have 
and still follow you because you are still with us, you are still providing, is what you want for me in the seasons of wilderness. Church of God, there's a lot of things we're going to have to do without for a while. Will we be okay? According to Scripture, He is faithful even in the dry places. I, I want you to do a little exercise for me. I want you to think about what makes you murmur right now. What makes us complain right now? And I want you to keep that before the Lord honestly. I think God wants us to be honest about what bothers us, what we'd rather not endure, what we'd rather not go through. You want me to list all the things that I'd rather not do? I, I don't like walking outside like on my own. I don't like hand sanitizer. Who knows what that stuff's going to do to me long term? I don't like the discomfort. I don't enjoy suffering. I don't like dry places, difficult places. But my friends, when I look at my life honestly and the Lord holds up his grace before me, he has given me what I need. He's given my family what they need. He has given you what you need to make it through this season because he is faithful. When we forget why we're following him, we tend to make other things more important than even our obedience in the wilderness. What are we most dissatisfied with? What do we long for that makes us want to turn back? Can you discern the faithfulness of God? Can you start to list how He's provided? You know, for as many things as we read on the news and watch on social media that tells us how the world is just falling apart, what doesn't make the news pages is the grace of God that is sufficient for so many people in this season. I have a friend um, who uh, used to be a pastor like me. He no longer is a pastor, and part of that is just because of how things are going in our world. And he is... Uh, He's uh, working for UPS. You know, what can Brown do for you? No? That's not funny? I think that's a real funny slogan. I, I don't know why. I, you, know. you know, sometimes when people <laughs> develop these marketing slogans, they need to give their head a check. Uh, you know, I just don't know. But anyway, uh, I meet with him every week. We, we pray together. He's in the U.S. And as I've heard him talk about you know, I've got to do with less things, and I'm not really doing what I feel in some ways I've been trained to do. I'm discerning that God is with me in this season, and, and, and he's enjoying the ways in which God is using him in and through UBS. I have another friend who, due to health conditions and struggles, cannot continue on in ministry, and and I meet with him along with this other friend of mine. And, and the way that I hear him speak challenges me. I, I still have a job. I, I still have a church, a parish. And yet my friend is able to discern that in this season where there is no fixed income, there's no assurance of that paycheck at the end of the month, 
that he is experiencing the grace and provision of God in ways that has grown his faith. I want us to understand that the wilderness is not an easy place. Not for Israel, it wasn't for Jesus, and it isn't for us. But that there is bread and water there because God is faithful. I think we need to trust God. I think we also need to remember the grand purpose of God, which seems to be lost on the people. They ask this question repeatedly, why are we here? Why have you brought us up, verse 5, out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? You know, the, the, the answer to that question was given from the moment that Moses was sent to the people. It was so that God would form for himself a people that would be a witness to who he is in this world for the sake of redeeming it. But I think when we as Christians similarly forget that we have been saved for God's purpose, not just for our own comfort, it becomes easy to become murmurers. I think when we forget that we've been liberated through the blood of Jesus Christ, hallelujah, <laughs> that we've been saved for purpose, that it is easy then to measure God's faithfulness in light of how we're feeling and doing right now. I don't know why. You know, when I set out to preach, I, I don't set out to to antagonize or to provoke. I, 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 I always listen to the word first for me. You know, people have said to me over the years, you preach with such passion. I hope that the passion comes from the conviction that I feel when I hear the word for myself. <laughs> I want you to understand that I preach as one who sits under the word, not on top of it. God is speaking to me as he is speaking, hopefully, to you. I, I just want to stress how important it is that we do not do what Israel did. They forgot their why in the desert. And when you forget your why, you make other things more important than God's plan. He wants more for us than we want for ourselves. And when I say more for us, it's not more comfort. It's not bigger homes. I know that there's a strand of preaching that seems to kind of say God wants to bless us, and that means primarily material things. By the way... The people complain about not having meat, and God gives them quail, right? So, so it's not like God is not in the business of blessing us, even in the wilderness. It's not like God wants to have us have a joyless life. He promised them a land of flowing with milk and honey. But it does seem to me very clear that when the people forget that they're en route somewhere to a place that is promised for the purposes of God, that they seem to have a a very negative way of dealing with challenging times. When we forget that we have been saved by God for His purpose and not just for our own sake, we tend to look at everything in the world through what matters to us. But what matters to God? What matters to God? 
I want to close and, and uh, suggest to us that like Israel in the wilderness, we too need a provocative symbol to, to lead us to life and healing. And the good news is we've been given one. Uh, I think uh, it's, it's, I'm going to say, I, I hopefully say this right, Giovanni Fantoni. Uh, the Italians amongst us will probably tell me you just butchered his name. But he was an artist who fabricated an, 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 a, a sculpture that is on a monastery close to, on Mount Nebo, which is considered to be the mountain that Moses was on when he saw the promised land but wouldn't enter. And the sculpture is of this pole with the serpent on it, but it is, it is done in such a way that it actually reveals Jesus. Now, now, there's a few things I need to say about this, and perhaps I don't have enough time to do it justice, but, you know, how, how exactly does the cross of Christ act like the serpent on a pole? In the Western world, of course, most of us understand that uh, snakes should, should never have been allowed to exist. Just going to say that. But there's a lot of imagery around snakes in the Bible. You know, the, the, the serpent imagery in the garden, the tempter. Uh, the, the, the cobra that, that appears on the, on the headgear of Pharaoh. <laughs> you know, I just wonder that when the people looked up at the serpent, the very thing that was biting them, and it's you know, fiery serpents in the original language, probably referring to the, the biting sensation, the, the discomfort that people were feeling, whether there was just a remembering that was happening there, a sense of when they looked up, they, 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 they were given an opportunity to remember uh, how bad things really were. I wonder if we look at the cross, whether perhaps it's the same imagery, a Roman uh, instrument of torture and death transformed through Jesus Christ to be a symbol of hope and life, that the way in which God seems to transform symbols that were intended to destroy into life is a remarkable sign of the kind of God we find in the wilderness. I wonder if in this season to look to the cross would mean for some of us to become honest, to become confessional about the ways in which we have allowed can I say this word in the church? Sin. Uh, to infect and affect. Uh, you know, I, I, I like to play with the imagery of the text. In order to look at the, the, the pole that was raised, you, you can't look down anymore. But if, if, you know, and by the way, the scripture doesn't tell us that God took the, the stakes away. You know, but as Moses raised the pole, you know, I, this is what I would be doing. I'd still be looking down. <laughs> I'd still be worried about that next viper coming for me. But it seems that, that what God does through the intercession of Moses, by the way, Jesus becomes our mediator and intercessor, is that he invites the people to look up. So that perhaps they would remember what they've been liberated from, but also in doing so, place their trust in the God who would raise his son one day. What are we looking at in this season is really important. I think some temptation is to look at others, to look at news, 
You want to feel good? Don't read the news, right? Uh, That's bad theology. I I shouldn't say that. (laughs) That's kind of ostrich Christianity. Just dig, you know, stick your head in the dirt. Uh, But we must look up. We must look to God in this season. The people know that they're going to die, and so they ask Moses, say, Moses, you pray. (laughs) Maybe this is what it means to look up. It means that some of us become intercessors. We start to pray more. The problem, I think, sometimes for us is we don't believe prayer is is, is, is as effective as when we are doing something. Listen, the truth is, The people in the desert can't save themselves. In the wilderness, they cannot save themselves. They need a savior. That's clear. Similarly, to this day, we cannot save ourselves. We need a savior. And when we pray, we acknowledge that we need him. When we pray, we acknowledge that he alone saves. When we pray for others, we are doing the priestly work that we have been called to do as the church of God. So I want to suggest to you that in this season, that not only is there an invitation to trust God and to remember why we're following him, but it is an invitation to look to the cross by going to our knees. With this, I close. I um, would like to invite us to pray together as God's people. And maybe the Lord has laid upon your heart something that is pressing, something that you need to bring to him in prayer. But maybe some of us, like Moses, wants to pray for somebody else. Maybe it's somebody that right now is going through a crisis, somebody that is finding it hard to have faith. Maybe it is somebody that is not well. Maybe it is someone that we can see is kind of taking the the path of the prodigal. You see, what wilderness does is it, it really tests faith, doesn't it? And, and I think that for us as the community of faith, and, and this is on Pastor Brittany's heart for us as the church, is that we would be a people of deep faith and that that faith would be revealed through our commitment to pray. There's some of our congregation that really needs us to be praying for them right now. There's some people in hospital dealing with some pretty significant things. We can pray. There's some folks in our congregation that, are, um, that are, are, are really struggling emotionally and mentally. We can pray. There are some people that live on their own, and for, this, for them, this season has been particularly hard, particularly challenging. We have some people in our church that are on the front lines of serving people during this pandemic. They get up every day knowing that they put themselves at risk to some extent to help us get through it. We can pray for them. 
And then there might be some here today. You just need the Lord's grace to help you through. So, I invite you, and I'm going to give you some time to do so. To look up and to seek after him. Father, as we now close this time together, as we now perhaps are tempted to think ahead to what comes next, I pray that you would grant us the grace to pay attention to what your Spirit is saying to us. We acknowledge to you today that there's been times where we have messed up. We may even have said to you, if you get us out of this, we won't do it again. <laughs> we acknowledge to you that at times we have um, grumbled, murmured. At times we have not remembered well. We confess to you that we seem to be a people more prone to talking about a lot of things than talking to you. Begin your work within us. Set us apart that we might bring hope to others. Forgive us for not moving as fast as we should at times when you are leading us, and for not helping someone in need when we could have. You, God, have given us so much. May we use what we have to bless others. Touch families, friends, and most importantly, our neighbors, because when we are blessing our neighbors, we know you are in the neighborhood and you are there to bless others. We, your people, Rely upon your mercy and your grace today. We can only stand before you because of what Christ has done for us. And so it is in his name that we stand before you and we say thank you. Amen.